The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's scripture is from the book of Exodus, from chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, you have split the sea so that we could walk right through it. You have paid for an identity for us with your blood as your forgiven sons and daughters. May we come here this morning as the assembly of your people, ready to hear your word and to respond. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, This morning we're talking about the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. So I thought I'd begin with one of my weirdest encounters with stealing. My father and I were on a a subway and we were between stops and we got to one stop and, you know, I was standing a little bit away from my dad and we're both holding on to the things because if you're a southerner you don't know how to deal with all that, you know. I've been in New York, they know how to do it, but we don't know how to do it. I'm always falling and stuff, so we're, you know, ready. And these five folks come in and they, like, talking real loud and they surround my dad and then all of a sudden... Uh, my dad sees his credit card fall out of his wallet because somebody has been in his pocket. And so he's like, no, 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 no. And so like, he grabs it. And then like, we've identified that these five people are pickpockets and they're surrounding him. And we're on the subway for like five more minutes hanging out with them. It's like the most awkward thing ever. What do you do? I didn't know what to do. My dad decided to go, thief, stealer, pickpocket, this person is a pickpocket. Well, that made it even weirder, right? Because then all the other people on the sub were like, what's going on, right? And we're all shaking and stuff, you know, and trying to figure out. And then they can't run away. There's no police anywhere. So finally we get to the next stop and they just exit. And the door's shut. And we're like, that was weird. That was like the weirdest thing that has ever happened. Because like, you know, for like one stop... In the subway car, we were like kind of a community, you know, we didn't know each other that well, but we're all moving in the same direction, and everything's cool, and we're on vacation, and then all of a sudden we find out there are people on the train that are trying to steal from us, and it's weird, right? And that's what, what, what stealing does. Like when you've been in a community, if you've been in a place, if you ever had the experience of someone taking something from you, you go from being like feeling really at home to like feeling a lot of angst and fear and you start looking sideways at the folks around you. And it just creates a lot of difficulty in the community, whether that's your neighborhood or your workplace or a subway car for a couple stops. So this morning we want to approach the seventh commandment and ask, what does God want to say to us through this commandment? And I want us to begin by suggesting that all of the negative commandments in the Big Ten, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, these different negative commandments guard a more positive thing that God cares about. In other words, when you get married to someone, the point of marriage is not to refrain from adultery. Right? The, the meaning of marriage is to build community and fellowship and delight with one another. And if you're going to have that, one of the things that you should avoid is adultery. Right? The point of speaking is not not to lie. The point of speaking is to tell the truth and build each other up and build community. But if we're going to do that, we have to make sure we're not lying to one another. So the negative commandments protect a positive something. So if we're going to get the seventh commandment right, 
We have to understand what our possessions for, what is work for. What is the positive thing that you shall not steal is designed to protect the community from. Now this is a topic that I feel like I could talk about for the next seven hours, so buckle up. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so I'm going to try to distill it quickly to one verse, which is one of my favorite verses. It's in Ephesians. It's kind of weird. It's one sentence. But I think it kind of sums up this idea of what is work for, what are our possessions for, and it is also talking about stealing. Because in Ephesians 4.28, Paul says to those who are stealing, let the one who's been stealing stop stealing, but do something good with their hands so they might have something to share with those who are in need. Now, I want to suggest to you that right there, Paul gives us three things that are the good of work and possessions that the seventh commandment is designed to protect. First, work for all of us, Paul believes, and the Bible says, is one of God's gifts and requirements to us to create good things out of his world. So Paul says to the person who's been stealing, stop that, do something good with your hands. When God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, I've given you all of this. Now work with it, rule over it, take care of it. Take the stuff that I've given you and unpack its potential. Make gardens and fig trees. And subways and iPhones. Well, maybe not iPhones. I don't know. I don't know. But, but make things, right? So God gives us the world to do good with the world that he's given us. And so part of the point of work is to do good with the world. Those parts of the world that he's given us access to. Second thing is so that the thief may have something to share. Now, right there, if you have something to share, that suggests that you've been able to take care of your own immediate needs as well. So I want to suggest to you that the Bible sees work and possessions as one of the ways that you and I provide for ourselves and those who depend on us. So one of the reasons why God gives us work to do is so we can take care of our nearest neighbors, our friends, our family, those who immediately depend on us. But lastly, and I think most surprisingly, Paul says, let the one who's been stealing stop stealing, do something good so that he may have something to share With those who are in need. In other words, God gives us work and possessions and opportunity primarily so that we can give gifts to His people, so that we can have something to share. And many of you will have heard me say before that I think this is just one other way that we see the community that God is designing is like a giant potluck. Where every person at the party gets to bring their best plate. Gets to give their best gifts. The fruit of their labor given to the community at large. And every single person at the table gets to receive gifts from the community at large. So what's the point of work? What's the point of the possessions that we acquire and the wealth that we acquire in the process of work? I think the big picture in the Bible is that our work allows us to do something good, to provide for ourselves and our families, and allows us to bring good gifts to the community. Now, if that's the background, if that's the positive that the seventh commandment protects or seeks to protect through telling us not to steal... What does the seventh commandment mean for us today? I want to suggest it means two things. 
First and most obviously, the seventh commandment means we shouldn't take what belongs to another in any way. We should not take what belongs to another in any way. This means the seventh commandment is about those illegal acts of theft by which we are oftentimes tempted to take what belongs to another. Whether that's stealing and robbing directly, whether that's not returning stuff that we find along the way, whether that's depriving others in any way of what belongs to them. Whether that's hustling the system when we get opportunities to and taking advantage of services and goods that are not ours. The seventh commandment tells us, don't take what belongs to another. But secondly, and and maybe more surprisingly, the seventh commandment also calls us not to take things from others in a legal way. So not only are we not allowed to break the law in taking property from others, we're not allowed to use the law to help us take from others. This is why in the Old Testament the prophet says, Woe to you who who create unjust laws. Woe to you who had house to house and field to field. Woe to you who move the ancient boundary lines of your neighbor. It's because the Bible recognizes that we can steal by smashing a window and taking what we find there. And we can steal by using the system to our advantage at the expense of our neighbor. In fact, no less than the reformer John Calvin writes on the seventh commandment. that The seventh commandment means, and I'm quoting here, we are not even to catch anyone unawares. In bargaining or contracts, either by selling too dear, that's too expensive, or selling too cheaply from those who are ignorant of the prices of things. Nor are we to lay our hands on another's property by any sort of guile whatsoever. Do you see what a high bar Calvin sets for not breaking the seventh commandment? He's saying if you go into an economic transaction and you've got more information and completely within the bounds of the law... You hustle your neighbor for their bad and your good. You have broken the seventh commandment. This isn't restricted to Calvin. This goes all the back to the early church fathers who said, if we have excess stuff, there's a sense in which we've stolen it from our neighbors. The Catholic uh, catechism says that we are given the goods that we have to steward for God's uh, pleasure And if we manipulate or abuse economic systems to help ourselves at the expense of others, we've broken the seventh commandment. God's people have regularly identified breaking the seventh commandment with other laws in the Old Testament. Laws against things like unjust lending. Taking advantage of someone who needs to borrow money and charging them exorbitant interest might be totally legal. But the Old Testament tradition seems to identify it with breaking the theft commandment. Unjust wages, woe to you who built your houses but did not pay your workers, says Jeremiah. Unjust markets. And here I think also we might associate the illegal drug trade with the seventh commandment. Which is a form of economic activity which steals life from our neighbors in order to benefit ourselves. So the seventh commandment includes all sorts of ways, legally and illegally, that we create gain for ourselves at the expense of another. 
The book of Exodus also takes this to another level when it talks about stealing people. So Exodus 21.16 says, Whoever steals a person and sells them, and anyone found in possession of them, shall be put to death. The death penalty for kidnapping, the death penalty for acquiring kidnapped persons. Now, what's going on here is that all these acts of theft, whether it's smashing the window or kidnapping a neighbor or using your power in the marketplace to feather your own nest at the expense of others, are all, in biblical perspective, double thefts. These are double acts of theft. Because on the one hand, they deprive our neighbors of what they need to provide for themselves, to do something good, and to bring their best gifts to the potluck. When we use our economic power or by stealth or by any other means deprive others of what belongs to them, we are preventing them from doing what God wants us to do with our economic lives, which is something good that allows us to provide for ourselves and allows us to have gifts to share. Are you tracking with me so far? That's the one act of theft. But the other act of theft is it takes a lot of work to be good at stealing, right? I mean, I mean, anybody who's been around folks engaged in the illegal drug trade knows that takes a lot of work. Anybody who's been legally uh, hustled out of their home or their wages or a stake in the community knows it took somebody a lot of effort to commit that act of theft. There are a lot of resources that go into the industries of kidnapping and enforced prostitution and the sex trade. And all of that energy that we spend on those, those unjust activities is the effort that God has called us to use doing good and giving to our neighbors. In other words, we don't just deprive the community of our neighbor's gifts, we deprive the community of our gifts. Are you tracking me? If you're using your economic power to dispossess others, you're stealing from your neighbor who's dispossessed, but you're also just stealing from the community that needs your gifts and abilities. If you're spending time finding ways to provide for yourself by breaking the law, you're depriving those who you break the law against, but you're also depriving all the rest of us who need you and need the good that you're doing, that you could do, and who need the gifts that you are called to bring into community. Breaking the seventh commandment deprives the community two ways. It's an act of double theft. It's a compounding debt. And the alarming thing for me is that when we look at how the book of Exodus unpacks this seventh commandment, it doesn't just say if you break it, Go to church, say you're sorry, and get back to work. The law unpacks consequences for breaking the seventh commandment in terms of repaying what has been taken and often repaying it with interest. This is a theme that carries all the way into the New Testament. When Zacchaeus meets Jesus and becomes a Christian and says, Behold, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone which he probably did both legally and illegally, I'll pay them back four times as an act of restitution. So the seventh commandment confronts us with the need to ask hard, soul-searching questions 
about whether we have used our ingenuity and our efforts and our creativity and our labor to defraud others rather than to build them up. Whether we have used our time and our resources and our creativity to take from other people legally or illegally or whether we've used our time and resources to build each other up. And if we can identify places where we've been guilty of breaking the seventh commandment, in context it calls us to figure out what it would be like to put that back together and to make that right. This seems almost impossible to me. But I'm grateful for the legacy of Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs which actually teach us how to do this. The eighth step... And many 12-step programs, is that, do I have it up there? I think I have it up there. It says this. At the eighth step, one makes a list of all the persons one has harmed and becomes willing to make amends to them all. So if you're working your way through the steps, you get to a point where you say, I'm going to make an inventory of how I have used my efforts to harm others rather than to build them up. And then in the eighth step, or the ninth step, we make direct amends to such people whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Here's an example that many of our friends and neighbors in these pews who are involved with 12-step programs are already learning what it looks like to look at our hearts and say, have I used my hard work and ingenuity and time to deprive others of what belongs to them? And if so, how do I become committed to setting it right? Unfortunately, it's worse than that. Because... The Old Testament also bears witness to the reality of corporate sin. Of the sins that we have committed ourselves and alongside of our fathers. And when I began looking these past few weeks at the seventh commandment in context and realizing that one of the primary acts of theft that Exodus and Deuteronomy envisions is kidnapping... I'm afraid we can't talk about this without acknowledging the historic and corporate theft that our nation and community and our church has been complicit with through hundreds of years of kidnapping and enslavement of our African brothers and sisters, through the intentional dispossessing of black businesses and families of their businesses and homes under Jim Crow, of the failure to proactively include those we had dispossessed in the gains of our economy up until the present. If the seventh commandment doesn't strike you as something that affects you too much personally, perhaps God wants to open our eyes up to the way that we live amidst a way of life that characterizes the breaking of the seventh commandment. And even beyond that, the very land that we worship on was acquired by whoever currently owns it through acts of theft against indigenous people groups and First Nations, the entire continent that we live and work and travel on is in the hands of whoever has it because of the breaking, the flagrant breaking of the seventh commandment. Almost exclusively by white folks like me and far too often by Christians who carried the ten commandments with them where they went. Now when I think about some of my brothers and sisters in AA trying to figure out all the people that they harmed, And how to make it right. I get overwhelmed. I think, man, I have harmed so many people. And then when I think about how, as an upper middle class white male, I am complicit in a community of theft that goes back hundreds of years. I'm overwhelmed. And for all of these reasons, I almost didn't 
bring this part up. Because I don't have any neat, tidy answers to give us about how to fix it. Either with the stuff that you may have stolen from individuals 10, 15 days or months or years ago. Or with our collective failure as a people to right the wrongs of our fathers and mothers. I don't know how to fix it, but what I do know is that if anybody should be able to engage that conversation, if anybody should be willing to ask costly questions about what our history of theft personally and corporately means for how we live our lives, it should be people who carry the seventh commandment with them. The seventh commandment should awaken us to all the ways that we have directly and indirectly advantaged ourselves at the expense of others. And ask the Lord to guide us into the sort of conversations and practices and sacrificial giving up that will be required to hear the seventh commandment as God speaks it to us. Our world is complicated. This is hard work, which gives us two options. We can pretend like the seventh commandment is just about not taking the candy bar from the gas station and basically let all of ourselves off the hook. Or we can listen to the entire history of the church, which has said that the seventh commandment is about the good that we owe our neighbors and recognize that we are complicit and we are called to start making things right. Secondly, the seventh commandment doesn't just mean that we don't take what belongs to another. The seventh commandment means we must positively seek the economic good of our neighbor. And here Calvin helps us again. Because right after he finishes that first quote on the seventh commandment, he says this. He says, if there is in us any fear or love of God, we are rather to press with every effort to aid either friend or foe as much as we can with advice and help to hold on to their possessions. And we are rather to give up our own possessions than to take away anything from another. And not this alone, but if they are pressed by any material difficulty, we are to share their needs and relieve their penury with our substance. We are to relieve their lack with our affluence. And some of you are thinking, Calvin here has really gone off the rails. Well, I'd remind you in a Presbyterian church, you're not allowed to say that. No, I'm kidding. You can say that. You can be against Calvin. But he was just reading Paul, who in Romans 8 said, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And then he tells us where he got that. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The seventh commandment doesn't just tell us not to harm our neighbors, and God knows we've done enough of that. It calls us to be proactively sold out for their good. To orient all of our economic lives to their upbuilding. Even John Calvin could have been reading Exodus. Because in Exodus, you know what we learn? We learn that every once in a while you've got to leave your fields unfarmed. So that the orphan and the immigrant and the widow and the poor can provide for themselves for their own work in your fields. If... Your neighbor has nothing to steal. You make what you possess 
available to them so that they can live a life where they can do something good with their hands, provide for themselves and their family, and bring their gifts into community. Explicitly, texts like the Gleaning Walls call us not just to defend the taking of property, but to welcome the propertyless into the benefits of our property. And to seek to preserve the property and the work and the well-being of others. And so Exodus 23, 4-5 says, If you encounter even your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, you must by all means return it to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen under its load, you must not ignore him, but be sure to help him with it. And at this point, as in so many points in the Bible, I kind of feel like taking it up with Moses. Like, come on, man, are you serious? Like, for real, if somebody hates you and you know it, well, I'll just talk about me. If someone that I hated overloaded their donkey so heavy that he falls under the load they put on him, and I saw that, I'm like, yeah, that's on you, man. Right? Like, you, you just, you shouldn't work so stupid. It's your fault for oppressing that poor animal. That ain't on me. That ain't on mine. I wouldn't help that guy. But here, the Bible calls us, even if we see... Okay, let me put it even... Let me break it down even further. Overloading your animal is your dumb mistake. Right? Good workers know how to put the amount on the donkey that doesn't call it to, cause it to fall in a ditch. So what Moses is saying is, here, even if you see someone losing their possessions through their own fault... You are called to use your time and energy to help them, to empower them, to ensure that they can continue to participate in economic life. This is a huge challenge to go out of the way, not just to keep our hands clean, to make sure we're not hurting others, but to make sure that we are sold out in empowering and giving and assisting others. I was thinking about, uh, a couple weeks ago I quoted Merle Haggard, which is really weird. I don't listen to Merle Haggard, but I'm going to quote Dylan today. I do listen to Dylan, and he says, if you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose, right? And the seventh commandment calls us to make sure ain't nobody got nothing, right? It calls us to make sure, even think about the shirt that I'm wearing right here. It says Jubilee across it. The great day of the Lord when God said, if you've lost your farms and fig trees... You get them back. Why would God call us to do that? Because God wants everyone to be able to provide for themselves, to do good, and to bring gifts in the community. And he calls us, even through the seventh commandment, to be sold out in service to others, including our enemies, for their economic well-being, to ensure that they can participate socially and economically in the community. It is a huge privilege to be a part of this church and to see the ways that many of you are already doing this work. It is a huge privilege to see those of you with homes welcoming others to live with you and alongside you. It is a privilege to see those of you with cars lend your vehicles to those who are in need when they are struggling. It has been an enormous privilege to see those of you who have influence in your workplace advocate for hard-to-hire populations to be hired in your business through organizations that many of you work for 
Like Advanced Memphis that works with the unemployed to help them get a stake, a social and economic stake in the community so they can do something good with their hands and provide for their friends and family and bring gifts to the community. And many of you work for Advanced. Or the collective that our very own Sarah Lockridge Steckel has started, which is helping youth. And all of those efforts that y'all are making depend on people, some of whom are in this congregation, who've gone to bat... For folks who lack the educational credential, for folks with criminal records, for folks who may have not worked very much, to get access, to get a stake in the community. And as you do that work, brothers and sisters, you are following the seventh commandment. Not just ensuring that you're not depriving others, but ensuring that your work includes others. This happens when we get involved in the lives of those who are struggling and bring our social capital and our ingenuity around efforts to empower folks. This happens with our teachers. Our economy today, unlike the economy of the Old Testament, values knowledge, education, intelligence as one of the primary factors in our economic life. And when you teachers go into schools that are struggling with kids in neighborhoods who are suffering, and you help them acquire the tools and the resources to participate in our economy, you are following the seventh commandment. I don't know if Rachel Haga is here from RestoreCorps. RestoreCorps is doing incredible work to liberate women who've been enslaved to the horror of prostitution and to restore them economically and socially and communally. That's the work of the seventh commandment. And many of you have spent your energy and time investing in these and other initiatives. In this community, the average business owner is an African American. Over 50% of the businesses in Memphis are owned by black and brown folks. But because of a variety of inequities, those business owners often struggle to compete. And many of you are working in including and supporting and patronizing and investing in minority-owned enterprises. And I want to tell you, that's an act of the Seventh Commandment. And I want to challenge all of us to not only take the self-inventory and ask, how have I contributed? How have I used my hustle to hustle people out of belonging and instead use my hustle to hustle people in to belonging? I want to tell you, the seventh commandment requires nothing less. Folks, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I mean, we are schooled and raised and trained to think that what's mine is mine because I worked hard for it and nobody got any claim on it. And then we run into God and the Old Testament and Jesus and they just aren't following the rules. They just aren't following the rules. They require so much more of us. And they require things from us like accounting for our individual and corporate failures over a lifetime of an individual and a lifetime of a community that we cannot imagine. We cannot imagine what it would look like to obey. And brothers and sisters, even if you work through your inventory and you can't find anything, And even if you look at your life and you can see how you're trying to help others prosper socially and economically, the truth of the gospel is that we have all, every one of us, robbed God of the worship and service that we owe Him. And we have robbed our neighbor of the love and service that is due Him. The seventh 
commandment leaves us all guilty. Guilty as charged. Incapable to defend ourselves in the court of God's justice and righteousness which required all of us sold out in love to him and neighbor and which we have so failed to do. So brothers and sisters, the good news this morning is not just that God is calling for a more just community based on his people's obedience to the seventh commandment, but that when we have failed in the past and when we inevitably fail in the future, he stands before us as the one who, while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Oh, precious is the flow, says the hymn. That makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and me from our failures to fulfill the seventh commandment. No other payments can suffice for the debts we have racked up in breaking the seventh commandment except for the payment of the king who though he was rich, yet he became poor so that through his poverty he might make us rich. There is no way that we can stand justified in the face of the seventh commandment except that we are united to Christ who has become for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and holiness who is conforming us into the image of the one who did justice, the one who loved to the full, the one who stands guiltless before the Father and promises to present us holy and blameless and guiltless before Him if we will but follow. Brothers and sisters, many of you, many of you love the Lord and know the forgiveness like I do that rescues us and lifts us up and sets us back down. And I want to challenge you today. That gives us the courage to take the seventh commandment seriously. That gives us the Spirit's power to look at our lives and try to repent and walk in the newness of life by the power of the Spirit. And as my elders and community group leaders come forward, if you are sitting out there this morning and you're a brother or sister in Jesus, and you are convicted, you're convicted of your complicity and individual or corporate failures related to the Seventh Commandment, come Come meet with God's people. Come receive prayer. The prayer of the righteous man, James tells us, availeth much. It heals. And it just doesn't heal us of our physical illnesses. It heals us of our spiritual sicknesses. So if the seventh commandment convicts you of a spiritual sickness as it has in my life this week, come receive prayer. Recommit yourself to walking in the newness of life that Christ has bought for you. If you are here this morning and you are struggling economically or socially, you feel dispossessed. When I said, if you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose, you said, that's me. I want you to know that as an act of obedience to the seventh commandment, this church has deacons. This morning it's Cindy and Chappelle right back there in the gray church. Y'all wave. And during this prayer time that we're about to have, they're going to be in this back room. And if you want to come talk to them about how we can come alongside you and try to help you be re-enfranchised to the community so that your gifts can be used to do something good and provide for yourselves and have something to share, they'll be back there to talk with you. And if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus... If, God forbid, you are here this morning and you don't understand why you need forgiveness. 
I invite you to hear the word of God declare all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. We have all failed. We have all fallen short. And Jesus is the king who has paid the price for our failures. Come this morning and meet a king who loves you enough to cover all your debts, to pay for all your failures. And if you don't understand why you need that or what that might mean or what that might look like, these folks who are coming up here right now are ready to tell you about a God who loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you at the very moment that you're breaking the seventh and every other one of his commandments. An enemy of him. And as you come, let me pray for us. Jesus, we desperately need you to heal us and forgive us and restore us from lives lived in enmity against you. God, I pray that as the body is here in this room, that you would convict us of sin. That you would woo those who don't know you to yourself and invite them to life and joy and peace. That you would bring those who are struggling into the light so that they may receive help. That you minister to us through your body, this church, God. I pray that you would be here by your Spirit's power, offering us forgiveness for our failures and power to walk in the life that you have for us. Jesus, we ask all these things in your matchless name. Amen.